0: Alrighty, let's make a start. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to church. If you're new, special welcome. I'm very sorry you came on the day I was preaching, uh, especially this message. It's not, it's not pretty, I'm not going to lie. But um, let's dig in. Acts 5. And before I do it, do one, I want to, want to pray. Um, Father God, we, we thank you for everyone who's here today. That you've brought them here for a purpose, we pray that you would be speaking individually to each of us, specifically on our hearts. Um, we pray that you would just um, speak through me and use me, um, and use me as your mouthpiece to speak your word. Amen. 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 Okay, Acts five, uh, starting from verse twelve, and we're going to forty-two. It's quite long, so bear with me. Uh, the apostles performed many signs and wonders among the people. And all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. No one else dared join them, even though they were highly regarded by the people. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. As a result, people brought the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and mats so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as he passed by. Crowds gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those tormented by impure spirits, and all of them were healed." Then the high priest and all his associates who were members of the party of the Sadducees were filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles and put them in public jail. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. Go, stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell the people all about this new life. At daybreak, they entered the temple courts, as they had been told, and began to teach the people. When the high priest and his associates arrived, they called together the Sanhedrin, uh, the full assembly of the elders of Israel, and sent to the jail for the apostles. But on arriving at the jail, the officers did not find them there. So they went back and reported, we found the jail securely locked with the guards standing at the doors, but when we opened them, we found no one inside. On hearing this report, the captain of the temple guard and the chief priests were at a loss, wondering what this might lead to. Then someone came and said, look, the men you put in jail are standing in the temple courts teaching the people. At that, the captain went with his officers and brought the apostles. They did not use force because they feared that the the people would stone them. The apostles were brought in and made to appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name, he said. Yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Peter and the other apostles replied, We must obey God rather than human beings. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging him on a cross. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and saviour, that he might bring Israel to repentance and forgive their sins. We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, they were furious and wanted to put them to death. But a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, who was honored by all the people, stood up in the Sanhedrin and ordered that the men be put outside for a little while. Then he addressed the Sanhedrin, Men of Israel, consider carefully what you intend to do to these men. Some time ago, Judas appeared claiming to be somebody, and about 400 men rallied to him. He was killed, and all his followers were dispersed, and it all came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean appeared in the days of the census and led a band of people in revolt. And he too was killed, and all his followers were scattered. Therefore, in the present case, I advise you, leave these men alone. Let them go, for if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. His speech persuaded them. They called the apostles in and had them flogged. Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. Okay. Wow. Still awake. Good. Uh, I'm going to give you a little summary, a long story short of what just happened in case you nodded off. Um, Basically, the apostles are doing their things, they're healing people, they're bringing in all these sick and gross homeless people from everywhere. And, um, and the high priest and his mates are jealous because this new teaching is throwing away, it's throwing upside down the whole way of life. And, and I just want you to imagine that, that you are a proud, upstanding Christian, you believe in God, you believe the earth is round. Just imagine for a second that all of a sudden in Sydney, all these people, all these Christians are going around, Telling people that the Earth is flat, and you're like, wait, what? Why? No, 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 stop, stop, stop! You can't go around telling people that. That's not a thing. You shouldn't. This shouldn't be growing as fast as it should. Christianity should be growing, not not flat Earth theory. This is this is so wrong. You are wrong. I am right. You might be a little jealous, and and so you're like, okay, how do we stop this, guys? This message cannot go on any further. What do we do? Um, throw them in jail. Yeah, they'll they'll hate that. Yeah, that'll that'll shut them up. So so you throw them in jail and um, you. You come back tomorrow morning, like, okay, okay, what do we do? Oh, I'll bring, I'll bring all the elders in Sydney of all the churches and then they'll, they'll like, yeah, they'll tell them off. And so you bring the elders, you come back to the jail and they're gone. I don't know what to say. They were here a second ago, but then there's no evidence of them leaving and you're kind of like getting a bit angry and someone comes in the door and says, so we found them. They are, they're preaching in the church about um, they're telling people that the earth is like a disc and you're like, Oh my gosh, you're kidding me. This is what, it's exactly what I told them not to do. And so you bring them in, you like pull them by the ear, you bring them the court, and go, this is exactly what we told you not to do. And you, like, you, what, have you, what do you have to say for yourself? And they, they look at you and they say, "Oh, we must obey God rather than human beings. And, and God has given us um, Mother Nature inside all of us to, to us who obey Him. And at this point, you are furious. This is so wrong. This is this cannot go on any longer. The only way to stop them, if jail isn't going to hold them, you're just going to kill them. Okay, that's the only way. And then, uh, and then all of a sudden, James James stands up and he goes, "Seb, Seb, Can you guys stand aside for a second? Okay, I don't I don't think this is such a great idea um, because you know it's probably not right. But but what if it is? What if it is from God? Then then we would be in trouble. Um, we don't want that." And so you, you bring him back and like, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're just going to flog you 39 times. You guys are in deep trouble. Do not do this again. And so you flog him and they're all bleeding and bloodied up and um, they're leaving the, the church. You look outside the window and they're like, yeah, high five, fist bumps, cheering all around. And you're like, what, these guys are sickos. And they, they keep going around, not only to the church, but to other people's houses, telling people that the earth is flat. Because all they're thinking is, we've got a mission. We've got to take this things, this message to the ends of the earth, and then and then that's it. Because it's it's 2D and that the end is is visible. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I've I've titled this message um, hashtag blessed. Uh, sorry, that was before, and I'll explain in a second why. But I think there is something special about um. Being told by someone else to do something. Being given a task from someone else. Like if I, you can go back to the, the calling one, sorry. If I set myself a task, nine out of ten times I'm going to fail. I'm going to um, go to bed early tonight. Fail. I'm going to work out tomorrow. Fail. I'm not going to eat out every day this month. Fail. But if someone else gives me a task, I'm much more likely to do it. Um, Sebastian, I need to walk, walk the dog this week. Yeah, okay. Uh, Seb, I need to lift a church this week. Done. Uh, Seven, so you need to take the car in for service. Oh, can anyone else do it? No? Okay, done. The, the difference, I think, is that when someone else asks you to do something, they, they're counting on you to do it, and you, are, you kind of, you know, it, they need you to do it. No one else is going to do it. No one else is going to get it done. So, where is this going? God has given us a task, a mission, a mandate, a calling, and he's counting on us to get it done. Oh, but Seb, God doesn't need us for anything. He doesn't count on us for anything. Yeah, it's true, but this is how he's chosen to get it done. He says in Ephesians 2.10, that his intent that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known. And St. Augustine said that without God, we cannot, but without us, he will not. Okay, Here's, here's the other thing about a calling. A calling gives us purpose. A calling, by definition, is given by someone else. And therefore, it is much bigger than just yourself. But, uh, and God has called us to, to many things, to live a holy life. He calls us to repentance, to fellowship, to hope, to walk humbly beside Him. But if all that remains in this building, if it remains in your city group, then we're missing the main point. The only point that really matters is that it's to glorify God. That's His calling for us. It's all about him. It always has been. It always will be. It will never stop being about him. Because God is, Colossians 1.16, He's supreme, the firstborn. In him all things were created. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. We were made by God and for God, and until you understand that, nothing in your life will ever make sense. Until you understand that we were made by God and for God, nothing in your life will ever make sense. From the day you were born to the day you die, and every day in eternity after that, what do you think we'll be made to do? What do you think we're doing? We're going to glorify God? We think the angels are doing right now. They're singing, Holy, Holy, Holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. You are worthy of glory and honor and power. We created all things, and by your will, all things were created and have their being. That, that's what we're doing. That's what the angels are seeing. That's what we'll be doing forever and ever. And this is the kingdom of heaven that we are called to bring to earth. And so I'm looking at this. I'm looking at my life, and I'm saying, how is, how is every knee going to bow? How is every tongue going to confess? And all I do is come to church every Sunday, sing a few songs, and eat a bag of Doritos every Thursday night. And, and I'm, thinking, I'm thinking, when was the last time I... I Heard or saw or heard of someone else, a non-believer, coming to full faith in Jesus Christ from zero to a hundred. When was the last time I, I asked or even heard of someone asking a testimony of a miracle? Someone's asked for a sign, a miraculous wonder to break the heart of hard heart of, of cynicism in some unbeliever to lead them to Christ. I mean, I mean, what, what's missing from from what we reading in Acts? Who's sitting here besides me every week going through the book of Acts and saying? wow, this is um, that's good for them, but I don't think we'll ever see that here. This is kind of like a then time, and, and sure, it might have been special then, but there's something, I don't know, something not quite right with, with this gap that is so different to what is reality now. So what's missing? Here's, here's the main point. I have it outlined in a seven-point outline, but it's really the only point that I want to make is that the difference between us... in the the Western church specifically, and the apostles back then, is that the apostles embraced suffering for the glory of God. Sorry. Yes, that's the main point in the seven-point outline. (laughs) That's really the only point I want to make. If you leave with anything, that is it. And um, I, I want to preface this by saying I realise how far off I am from, from this reality and for what I'm trying to challenge you to think about, but um, I really did want to bring something today that was a little challenging, that was a little uncomfortable and um, not what we might want to hear. And, um, and if there is anything that you think I'm saying that is not quite right or you have questions about, um, please, please do come up and I'll I'll tell you I don't know. Um, (laughs) But I must admit also that a lot of this is is not my own idea, I've like commentaries and sermons and research. Francis Chan, actually, um, I was listening to a discussion he had with um, a leader of this Chinese underground church, and he was saying uh, they were talking about the pillars of this church, and one of them was to embrace suffering for the glory of God. And um, Francis is kind of like weighing this up through Scripture. It's like, is this right, you know? And he goes, you know what? This is in every book of the New Testament. This is everywhere. Suffering for the glory of God. It's in the Bible. 2 Corinthians 4.17. Our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. 2 Timothy 3.12. Everyone who wants to live godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted Colossians 1:24 I rejoice in what I am suffering for you. Romans 5:3 we glory in our sufferings. Romans 8:18 8, I glory, I uh, sorry, I consider our present sufferings not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. 1 Peter 2:19 It is commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because they are conscious of God. If you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you are called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in the steps. James 1.2, consider it pure joy whenever you face trials of many kinds. James 1.12, blessed is the one who perseveres under trial. That person will receive the crown of life. I mean, is anyone actually doing this? Is anyone actually believing this? Is anyone in the middle of your suffering encourage you to rejoice and celebrate? Oh, Seb, my it's not working out. My life is falling apart. I'm in tatters. This is, this is the end. I really don't know what I'm going to do. Oh yes! Come on, that's amazing. I'm so jealous. Okay, oh, think about the glories in heaven, think about the treasures, Think about the eternal reward. This is amazing for you. You are so lucky. When does that ever happen? Why does that sound so backwards? Yet yeah, that, that's what these scriptures are telling us to do. Matthew 5:10: "Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Blessed. Blessed. When when do we use the word blessed? Uh, We use it when someone has good genes. Yeah, that person is blessed. We use it when uh, we live in a safe neighborhood, when we can send our kids to private school and we can take our kids to church and they don't swear. But why is that our expectation? Why is this... What we have called blessed. Where does this expectation come from? If anything, Jesus tries to convince us of of the other. He warns us against following him. That's what blessing is. He says, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Are you sure you want to follow me? Whoever does not carry that cross and follow me, whoever does not deny themselves, is not worthy of being my disciple. Do you really want to be my disciple? And everyone is going to hate you. This is the expectation that he wanted us to have. 1 Peter 4.1 says, Since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves with that same attitude. Arm yourselves with the attitude that Jesus had suffering on the cross. That's the attitude, the expectation that he tells us to have. Mark 10.45 The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is the expectation that Jesus had. If, if Jesus didn't come from the throne room of heaven, from the, the glories and of, of the riches of heaven, and come down to earth to die at a criminal's cross and be treated as absolute scum, and if he didn't have that mindset of suffering, ready to expect suffering, then I think we would have had a different story. I think he would have been hiding in his room, reading the Torah, playing with the other rabbi boys. He would have got along with the teachers of the law fine. And when times got difficult, he might have quit. But... But if we embrace suffering for the glory of God, what can suffering do to us than what we already wanted in the first place? And it doesn't mean it's not hard. I mean, Jesus still cries out to God in the Garden of Gethsemane, says, "Um, if there's another way, please take this cup away from me, but... But also three days later, he, he rises, and um, I can just kind of imagine this, this interaction with his disciples and Jesus. They're like, Jesus, what did what did you do? Like, don't do that to us again. Like, you scared us. Like, how could you do that? And Jesus, would, I don't know, like, what did you expect? What did you expect? What is your expectation? One Peter four one. Since Christ suffered in the body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude. The difference between the early church and the church in Chatswood is that the early church embraced suffering for the glory of God. Uh, But so, you know, we we don't really have persecution nowadays. We are more civilized. Um, To which I would say, I think there is persecution. We've just found ways of avoiding it. I think the church in the Middle East would be fine if they just kept quiet. I think the underground church in China would get along fine with the government if they just didn't say anything, if they had no impact on their city. I think the early church would have been fine if they did not make noise. But the passage says that the teachers of the law were jealous. Imagine if we made people jealous. Imagine if atheists and post-Christians and the people who think, Oh, everything's right, and that's good for you, everyone's right. Imagine if we made those people jealous with the way that Christianity was growing so rapidly, so much. This is not right. Christianity is being phased out. It's old, it's irrelevant. It doesn't exist. This Jesus nonsense can't go on anymore. Imagine if that's, what, if that's the response that we had in our communities. I think there is persecution today. I think we maybe are just not making enough noise for people to notice us. Because we believe in some pretty wacky stuff. I mean, first of all, you are, you're just a horrible person. Do you know that? No, I'm a horrible person. You, but you, like, you don't deserve anything that you have. Everything you've earned for, you don't deserve that. In fact, what you deserve is, is death, like forever. Um, but, hey, God loves you for no reason other than that's just who he is. And um, when you wanted nothing to do with him, when you, when you hated God, yeah, he died for you. He sent his son Jesus, who is also completely God, by the way, and completely human. Yeah, he um, he died for you. He he died a criminal's death, and that means that you are forgiven. That means you have a clean slate, um, and you can live with this God. Isn't isn't he worth like giving up all your hopes and dreams and old aspirations for your ideas of success? Isn't he worth it? Isn't it worth um, leaving for a God, an invisible God, who has made himself known in this? ancient 2,000-year-old text. I wonder if we really do make enough noise, are people going to say, is that really what you think? I mean, is that really logical? Is that, is that your view on abortion? Is that really what you believe about women in the church? I wonder if we have confused loving others with agreeing with others. I wonder if we confuse accepting others with conforming to others. John 15:19. if you belonged to the world, it would love you as its own. Oh man, the world will love you if you belong to it. As it is, you do not belong to the world. I've chosen you out of the world. This is why the world hates you. The difference between us and the apostles is that the apostles embrace suffering for the glory of God. There's one last scripture I want to bring up before I bring back to the main text and eventually stop speaking. I have no idea how long I've been speaking for. Ephesians 3.10 says that I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and the participation of his sufferings. Um, a lot of us love praying this prayer. Yes, I want to know Christ. Yes, 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 for sure. Um, but do we actually pray, like, I want to know Christ so much. I want my life to be so entwined with His that I share my life with the life of Jesus, that my life would be so much like His that I would, I would die for my faith, that I would be martyred for my faith in Jesus. I, I, then my life would truly be shared with His, would be united with His. Does anyone actually pray that? I heard... Um, this story of um, this like benediction, blessing, praying over this newborn baby and um, these people were praying like yes, God, would you, would you bless this baby, um, have favour on this baby, would you bless him so much that he would grow up to die for his faith, that he would be a martyr, that would be the greatest blessing you could bestow on this baby. Like, why don't we pray like that anymore? That is what the early Christians longed for. I mean, we, we just saying The Blessing. I, don't, I wasn't planning on this, but thank you. Imagine if The Blessing was um, written to the lyrics of, of Matthew 5. You know, the, the Lord bless you and keep you. May people insult you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Amen. We agree. Let it be so. This is what the Christians would have wanted, the early Christians longed for. So bring it back to Acts 5, the, remember the apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped preaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. Uh, thanks, Ben. You can, you can come up now. I'm just about to finish. So let me try and wrap this up. We are called, we are made, we are designed to give glory to God. That is our highest purpose. And if we avoid suffering, despisal, and, and rejection and pain, then we will stagnate. Nothing will ever leave this building. But if we embrace suffering for the glory of God, we will be unstoppable and we will see the church move as we read in Acts. I truly believe that because if we rejoice in our suffering and if when persecution comes, we gather around each other and we actually rejoice and we, we encourage each other and we go, wow, you're so blessed. What, what can anyone do to us than what we didn't already want in the first place? This is the attitude, according to 1 Peter 4, that we ought to arm ourselves with. And if you are you know sitting there or you're listening somewhere and you're thinking oh you know what i don't know if i don't know if this is uh for me maybe you are not a christian maybe you are and you're having second thoughts now and you're thinking this doesn't sound fun this doesn't sound appealing why would i do that um yeah honestly me too <laughs> but the question i think we need to ask ourselves is is it worth it? Do I really think it's worth it? Is it worth suffering and taking the hard road and giving up all these things? Is it worth like all of this? Because the only way you're going to get through suffering is not by putting on a brave face. It's not by trying harder. It's not by praying harder. It's by focusing on the prize ahead. And if you believe that Jesus died to forgive you of your sins and that he rose again and that your life is, is better off in that kind of king who lives and reigns now, then yes, God God promises that it will be worth it in heaven. There will be no suffering and no pain and no tears, and there will be an eternal reward and eternal crown and treasures in heaven. And we'll be sitting in his glory. For eternity 2 Corinthians 4:16 to 18 says, "Therefore we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary and what is unseen is eternal. Father God, you, you are so glorious to us. You are so worthy. You are worth it. And we are sorry for the times that we have not realised that. We are sorry for the times that we have been quiet and we have been hiding. We pray that you would convince us again of your glory, of your majesty. We pray God that we will be so blessed to die for believing in you. We pray for suffering that we would rejoice. We change our minds to embrace suffering for the glory of God that would we'll be all consumed just with your glory. Just your glory. Amen.